the text for this afternoon's sermon is taken from Matthew 16, verse 25. Let's read that once again. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, recently I received an email from someone who found me through our website on the internet. He had some comments for me and asked me some questions. He wrote, I used to attend a Canary Reformed Church for around the first 20 years of my life. Since then, I have gone off to explore the world. I'm in the military and have seen some messed up stuff that doesn't make sense if there was a God. And then among other questions, he asks, how is God considered the good one when he caused over two million people to die in the Bible? He, like many other people, had a hard time equating the God of life with suffering and death. He cannot understand how God created life when there is so much suffering. It doesn't make sense to him. It doesn't make sense to many others. And that's something that the apostle Peter could not understand either. For when the Lord Jesus tells his disciples that he must suffer many things and that he is going to be killed, Peter rebuked him for saying so. He said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But then the Lord Jesus responds angrily and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then in the text, he tells Peter, and therefore all of us, about the mind of God. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. In order to save your life, you have to lose it. What does that mean? There is enormous and great depth to what the Lord Jesus is saying here. And that is what I will preach to you about this afternoon. The theme of the sermon is as follows. God gives true life to those who lose it. And then we will see three things. First of all, the meaning of life. Secondly, the loss of life. And then finally, the acquisition of life. Why is it that we are so sad when a loved one is taken? Why do we mourn death? The answer is obvious, you may say. For when you die, you are no more. You cease to exist on the face of the earth. You can no longer be a companion, a friend, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife. Someone with whom we had a close relationship is taken away. There's an empty place in our lives which no one can fill. Is it any wonder that we do not want to let go of life? Is it any wonder that we mourn when a loved one dies? 
Is it any wonder that we ourselves rue the day when we ourselves will die? As we all know, we must. Does the Bible not teach us that death is our enemy and that death is the last enemy to be conquered? Oh yes, we love life. We cling to it with all our might. We do not want to let go. But what are the things that make life so precious? What are the things that are so dear to us? Well, we love to be surrounded by relatives and friends. They make our lives worth living. We can share the ups and downs of life with our loved ones. Our loved ones give us reaving for a living. We can take care of them, and they can take care of us. We cannot imagine our lives without them. The Lord Jesus also knows that about us. He knows how precious they are to us. But he also warns us about this. He says, don't make them any more important than they should be. Don't make them any more important than God. For listen to what he says in Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and, his, and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We also love the other pleasures that life can bring, food and drink. We look forward all the time to a fine meal. And we love to experience a sense of accomplishment we get from our work. That also gives meaning to our lives. And we also love the material things that life has to offer us. Young people who stand on the threshold of life think about all the living that they still want to do. And they dream about careers, about money, about cars, about a home, about children. And as they continue to grow older, they continue to dream about grandchildren, about a comfortable retirement, about the enjoyment of good music and good company and good food, about all the fine things of life. But are those the things that truly give meaning to life? The preacher made that whole journey. He tried to make life as worthwhile as possible. He tells us in his book that he built houses and planted vineyards, that he made beautiful gardens and parks with fruit trees and man-made lakes. He acquired many slaves to serve him. He gathered silver and gold. He hired singers and musicians and had many concubines. He had everything that a man possibly could ask for. It was a good life. And yet, we read that he wasn't satisfied. For what is the conclusion that he came to after all that? At the end of his life, he came to the conclusion that he had gained nothing under the sun. And you see, brothers and sisters, that is also the great truth the Lord Jesus wants the disciples to come to. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What exactly does that mean? It means this. Someone who tries to save his life is he who tries to secure for his life all that this world has to offer. 
He is constantly trying to give meaning to his life by enriching himself and by protecting what he has gained. He is constantly trying to give meaning to his life by nurturing his friendships and by impressing others with his successes in life. But what is true life according to the Bible? Well, the Bible tells us that he who possesses true life is he who, in the words of Psalm 91, verse 1, dwells in the shelter of the Most High. In other words, true life belongs to him who lives close to God. But how do you now get from the one state to the other? How do you go from the one life, which in reality is death, to the other life? Well, Christ says there's only one way. You must lose it. You must lose your life in order to gain it. We come to our second point. What does that mean? Does that mean that you now have to let go of all the things that now make your life worthwhile and comfortable? Yes. That's exactly what it means. Think about the rich man who came to the Lord Jesus and told him that he had kept every one of God's commandments. And then he asks the Lord Jesus, what do I still lack? And then the Lord Jesus tells him to sell all his possessions and follow him. The rich young ruler was not able to do it. He went away sorrowful. Think about Lot's wife. She was so attached to her earthly goods, her earthly goods back in Sodom and Gomorrah, that she had to look back. She couldn't let go. And so the Lord turned her into a pillar of salt. Let me ask you, are you able to do it? Are you able to let go of what you have here on earth? For this is what the Lord Jesus says you must be able to do. That is what you must do if you want to have eternal life. You must let go of everything that you possess. But what does that mean? And that you have to sell or give away everything that you have? Of course not. But it does mean that you must not be so attached to any of you, your earthly possessions that you cannot let go of them. That they take on more importance than they should. It means that you must treat your possessions as if they do not really belong to you. For they don't. Abraham was a rich man. At one time, he was one of the richest men on earth. But he first had to learn to let go of all his earthly goods. The Lord called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he had to leave everything behind, including his family. He had to be willing to give it all up, and he did. And later on, he even had to be willing to let go, to give up, his son Isaac. For you see, 
you're only a steward of whatever possessions you may have here on this earth. Everything belongs to God. And he may require it from you at any time, just like he did with Abraham, and just like he did with Abraham's contemporary Job. Job. Are you prepared for that? Am I prepared for that? Let's ask ourselves, what role do my earthly possessions take in my life? Do my possessions determine who I am? Do you think that people will consider you to be more successful the greater your possessions? Do you think that your worth depends on the kind of opinion others hold of you? If the Lord were to take away all your earthly possessions, including your loved ones, your family, would your life then suddenly collapse or at least lose much of its significance? Well, Christ says you must be willing to let go of it all. That is what he means when he says that you must lose your life. But that's not all. As I said at the beginning of my sermon, there's a tremendous depth to what Christ is saying here. We've only begun to scratch the surface. To lose your life means not only saying goodbye to your earthly possessions, it means also saying goodbye to yourself. Let me explain that. There must come a time when you die, utterly die, to yourself. What does that mean? That means that you die to what you think of yourself. It's not important. Someone who wants to gain his life must not be worried about what the world around him thinks of him or her. He does not in the first place look for the approval or blame for his loved ones either, of parents, of grandparents, children, or even of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you are to lose your life, you must begin with yourself. You must first die to yourself, to your own opinion of yourself. That is where you start. And after that come your loved ones, including your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then finally comes the rest of the world. For you see, to die to the world is not the hardest thing. There are many people who are able to do that. For the world and our opinions are farthest removed from you. There are lots of people who are perfectly able to shut, shut out the world and to go about their business without worrying about what the world does and thinks. When it comes to our close friends and relatives, however, things become a little bit harder. There are not many people who can die to them. That is because we value their opinion and approval. We are sensitive to what those who are close to us think about what we do and what we say. As long as they approve, we don't mind if the world doesn't. Christ says, even that part of your life must die. You must also die to them. In other words, their lives, their opinions, their likes and dislikes should not determine the worth of your own life. 
there are people who are even able to do that. By and large, they do not allow themselves to be controlled by the opinion of others, not even their loved ones. They go their own way, no matter who may be against them. They are an island to themselves. Now let's go one step further. Let us go to the ultimate state, to what makes you tick, to what you think about yourself, how you judge yourself. People who are an island to themselves are hard to live with. They're hard to live with because they don't care about other people. But they are able to live with themselves. Why is that? Because they have such a high opinion of themselves. They believe that their opinion counts above all else. That is the only thing which ultimately matters to them. To your own self be true. That is the motto of the world. But is that not something that can also be said about us? We also value our own opinions of ourselves most highly. We are comfortable in our own skin. Christ says to such a person and to all of us, lose your life. That's the only way you can acquire life. We come to the third point. Christ says that to each and every one of us. And he, of all people, can do so. Christ spoke the words of this text not long before his own crucifixion and death. And he wants to teach his disciples and all of us about the significance of it all. He wants to teach us how the loss of life means the acquisition of life. His whole time on earth served as an example. His birth already meant the loss of life, of self. For at that time, he denied the life that he had with the Father. We read in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself completely of the glory which he had with the Father. He did not hang on to his glory and might. He gave it all up. He completely denied his own position, and he took on our human nature. And see how during his life he also denied himself. His personal life on earth did not matter. He came to serve. He came, he came to, live, to give his life as a ransom for many. During his whole time on earth, the only thing that mattered to Christ was his father's opinion. He did not consider himself important. He never said that he came to earth in order to do his own will. He came, as he said on so many occasions, to do his father's will. He made himself completely dependent on the will of his Father. He depended on God the Father for everything. Christ did not care about the opinion of the world. He did not care about the opinion of the disciples or anyone else. Mind you, he cherished their companionship. He loved to be with them. But ultimately, the only companionship and the only opinion that mattered to Christ was the opinion of his Father in heaven. He was even willing to give up his life in order to do his Father's will. The supreme example of the loss of life for the gain of life 
is seen on his death, in his death on the cross. He had never committed any sin. He had never said even one wrong word. He had never done one wrong deed. He had never done anybody any harm. When he was attacked with harsh and insulting language, he never did the same thing back. When he suffered, he did not threaten in return. He did not consider his own honor and glory. He gave his life completely for mankind. He did not have to allow himself to be nailed to the cross, but he gave up his physical life and also his spiritual life with the Father. For in the end, even the Father abandoned him. He totally gave himself up. And why? Only because he wanted those who belonged to him to have eternal life with the Father. In other words, so that you and I can have a life, true life, life in him. For you see, that is also his answer to the suffering that is found here on earth. And that is his answer to anyone who questions the justice of God to allow evil and suffering in this world. He did not bring evil. Oh, sure, he allowed it to happen because everything is under God's control. But he did not want this evil to happen. And when it did come, he himself suffered for it so that we could have life. In Christ, beloved, we have the supreme illustration of what it means to lose your life in order to gain it. And so what does it mean for us? Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, summarizes that in, his, in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To be a Christian means to be in Christ. If we say that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he died for us on the cross, that means that at the same time we confess that we too want to die, to die to ourselves even if that means we have to suffer. For what did Christ gain when he died on the cross? He received the place of honor beside his Father in heaven. He received the crown of glory. He received back the glory which he had with the Father before his incarnation. And so he gained the life for those who belong to him. No doubt there are still many questions at this point. How do I put this all in practice? How do I learn to put all my interests aside for the sake of my Father in heaven? Well, brothers and sisters, you begin by asking yourself some questions. You ask yourself, do I truly believe that God exists and that my life is nothing without him? Do I truly believe that the only things worth living for 
are the things that are stored up for me in heaven and for which I now already have a foretaste. The Lord gives us many things to enjoy that makes our lives worthwhile. He doesn't want to take that away from us, but he reminds us that there is so much more for us. There is eternal life. What you have here on earth is only temporary, and that's why you have to die to it. Ask yourself, why do I do what I do? Whatever I do in life, do I do it for myself? Or do I do it for the sake of God's kingdom? What role do my personal possessions play in my life? Can I do without them if I had to give it up for the sake of God's kingdom? Could I do without all those things and still be happy? And what about how you judge yourself and how others judge you? Think about the things that annoy you and upset you. Why do they? Do they upset you because God's laws have been transgressed and because you are concerned about his name and his cause? Are you upset or annoyed because in one way or the other, God's reputation is at stake? Or is it because your reputation, your name, your position is being threatened? Or is it the other way around? Because you're upset or annoyed at all kinds of things because of your own self-centeredness. Because people have hurt you. Well, Christ tells us to let all that go. He says, you must die. You must die to all that. And that, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is a constant process. Time and again, we have to die to our old nature. Our old nature has to be done away with. And our new nature in Christ has to be put on daily. Daily, we have to die to ourselves, to our possessions. Reflect a moment on your life. To what extent am I driven by self-interest? Why do we do the things we do? For your own glory and honor. Even our holiest activities have to be examined. The minister has to ask himself time and again, why do I preach the gospel? Do I do it to be praised by men? Or because the ministry is highly regarded by others? All office bearers must ask the same thing. Why am I an elder or a deacon? To what degree do I do it for the praise of others? Ask these questions brothers and sisters, with every activity in which you are engaged. And when you do that, you may come to a horrible discovery. You may come to the discovery that most of what you and I do is out of self-interest. Do you know what is often the cause of depression and unhappiness? I said often. There are many other reasons for depression. But many depressions come about because of self-interest. 
because of navel-gazing. We are so busy with ourselves that we don't see God anymore. And so we separate, our, we separate ourselves from him. But someone who dies to himself and lives to the Lord, only such a person is truly alive. And then it doesn't matter whether or not you live in an old shack or whether you are in a concentration camp or whether your life is about to be taken. You are still happy because you belong to the Lord. Think about Paul. Paul was in prison when he wrote his letter to the Philippians. He lived in abject poverty and in very austere conditions. He hardly had a coat to keep himself warm. But that letter he wrote to the Philippians was a letter of joy. It's one of the most uplifting letters of Paul. What is his secret? He says in chapter 4, verse 11 and following, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What is his secret? Well, it's no secret at all. For Christ has revealed the mystery. The secret is to die so that you may live. What then ultimately is the worth of life? It is this, to live your life in fellowship with God. We may mourn the death of our loved ones, and we can. The Lord allows us to mourn the fact that loved ones are taken away from us and that we can no longer have communion with them. For God created us in communion with one another. And you may also mourn the fact that you lose some of your earthly possessions or that you have to let them go for one or another reason. All those things are very understandable because God has given these things to you to enjoy. And you also may mourn the fact when you're reputation takes a hit. These are awful things. But what ultimately happens, what ultimately matters, what matters is our relationship with God, our communion with Him. And that fellowship will never be interrupted. Without God, your life has no meaning. Without God, your possessions and your children and your parents and your friends have no meaning. And that is what the preacher is trying to tell us. And that is what the Lord Jesus is trying to tell us. And the more you live in Christ, the more alive you are. The more you die to this earthly life, the more alive you are right now. And that's what the Lord Jesus wanted his disciples to understand as well. And that, it was, that is what he wants us to understand. He wants us to lose our life so that we may gain it. He wants you to be able to let go. Only then can you live life to the fullest. 
Only then can you be truly happy. And only then can you understand what it means to be a child of God forever and ever. Amen.